all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. Radio, this is Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, the show all about you and your family. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics and Medical Director of the Center for the Advancement of Youth at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Have you thought about being a foster parent to one of the many children out there who may need you? Were you a foster child or have had experiences with the foster care system that you want to share? Today, we'll talk about who does foster care and why and what you need to think about before you decide to make that move. Let's talk about what's going on in your life. Share your comments and experiences with us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking from MPB Think Radio. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Winter Johnston. French police have shot a man who tried to attack them with a hammer in front of Notre Dame Cathedral. NPR's Eleanor Beardsley reports the attacker was wounded and taken to the hospital, and police are now searching for possible accomplices. Notre Dame Cathedral is in lockdown, and the area around the church has been evacuated and sealed off. There are around 900 people trapped inside the cathedral. French TV showed footage of many people sitting on the stone floor. The crowd is being told to remain calm and stay put until police wrap up their security operation. Notre Dame is one of Paris's most visited tourist sites, with more than 30,000 visitors a day. Paris is on high alert after terrorist attacks in London over the weekend killed seven people. Paris police say the situation is under control. Control. The Paris prosecutor says the incident is being investigated as a terrorist attack. Eleanor Beardsley, NPR News. A top-secret National Security Agency report has been posted to the online magazine site The Intercept. It says Russian intelligence launched a cyber attack against a U.S. voter registration software vendor last year. NPR's Pam Fessler has more. There's no suggestion in the report that Russia did anything to manipulate actual vote counts or that the attempt to gain access to local election computers succeeded. But the NSA does conclude that at least one computer account at the software company, VR Systems in Florida, was likely compromised and that Russians used information collected from that operation to create fake emails for a phishing attack targeted at 122 local election officials. The Russians apparently tried to trick them into opening attachments or clicking on links that would have allowed them to introduce malware into the election system. Pam Fessler, NPR News, Washington. India says the U.S. decision to pull out of the Paris Climate Agreement hasn't altered ties between the two countries. But as NPR's Julie McCarthy reports, India rebutted President Trump's charge that it signed the pact to get billions of dollars in foreign aid from developed countries. 
Foreign Minister Sushma Swaraj said that India did not sign the Paris Accord under pressure nor for any monetary benefit. She told reporters at a briefing on Prime Minister Narendra Modi's third year in office that India's ethos was to worship nature. India is, however, the world's third largest polluter. Under the Paris Accord, developed countries are to scale up financing that would help emerging economies such as India mitigate carbon emissions. Modi is due to visit Washington at the end of June, Despite differences over climate change, the foreign minister said that the two countries, which have substantial defense ties, are moving forward with relations unchanged. Julie McCarthy, NPR News, New Delhi. Stocks are trading lower on Wall Street. The Dow was down 15 points. The Nasdaq down one. This is NPR News. The acting U.S. ambassador to China has resigned. NPR's Anthony Kuhn reports the senior diplomat was reportedly at odds with the Trump administration over his decision to withdraw from the Paris Agreement on Climate Change. A spokeswoman for the U.S. Embassy said that Deputy Chief of Mission David Rank resigned for personal reasons. But the Reuters news agency quotes an anonymous U.S. official as saying that Rank quit because he could not support the administration's position on climate change. Rank previously served in China and Afghanistan in 27 years as a career foreign service officer. Iowa Governor Terry Branstad is expected to take over as envoy to China later this month. The Trump administration's pullout from climate and trade agreements has led to questions in Asia about the U.S.'s commitment to what it calls the rules-based international order. Anthony Kuhn, NPR News, Beijing. A passenger has been arrested after an Australian domestic airliner was forced to make an emergency landing after a note was found in a bathroom. Police say the passenger had written on a sick bag that he had stashed a bomb on the plane. Passenger Wendy Willett told Australian Channel 9 that she wasn't aware of any safety concerns until she saw the plane was surrounded by police. Suddenly the air hostess from the back, the, the man, started yelling, we have to evacuate, leave, leave all your belongings, evacuate, evacuate. And they tore the, the window things out of the um, side of the plane and uh, we had to jump down out of the window. The plane was traveling from Sydney to New South Wales. I'm Windsor Johnston and you're listening to NPR News in Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include C3IoT, providing a software platform that brings machine learning, big data, and cloud computing to industrial-scale predictive analytics and IoT solutions. Learn more at C3IoT.com. This is Relatively Speaking with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. And now, Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. And today we're talking about foster care. Who does it and why? I have a few questions for you. Have you thought about being a foster parent to one of those many children out there who may need you? Uh, Do you have any experiences of your own about either foster parenting or being a foster child? We'd love to hear from you about your experiences there. And then Today, we'll also talk about why you should or should not do foster care, what you need to think about 
before you decide to make that move. And we want to talk about what's going on with you in your life today. We have also uh, a special guest, Dr. Barbara Saunders, who will pull in in just a moment, who actually, she's a developmental behavioral pediatrician and um, chief of the Division of Child Development Behavioral Pediatrics. And... uh, a colleague of mine, uh, she has experience both as um, being the physician for many foster children or adopted children and also has been working herself um, in the foster care system and adoption system. And we'll talk to her in a minute. But I want to give you just a few uh, statistics to, to think about as we're moving along. There are about 400,000 children across the U.S. in foster care. And in our state, in our state, Mississippi, we have around 3,700. And in our surrounding states, for our listeners, Louisiana, about 4,700. Alabama, 5,000. And then Tennessee, I guess because of the higher population, certainly 8,700. So um, I want to just tell you a little bit about, now many of those children, by the way, who are in the foster care system are awaiting adoption, but the the major bent on foster care placement, um, the, the most of our groups now push for family reunification. That means getting the home that the child came from, the biologic home, into the shape, the parents into the shape, everybody's straight, whatever was going on, so that there can be reunification. They put them back into the home. So it's a system where a minor, foster care is a system where a minor is placed into either a group home, a private home, or a state-certified caregiver, um, a foster parent, and um, due to something that's happened in the home. It's not always abuse or neglect, but many times it is. Sometimes it might have to do with the fact that there's a an ill parent or a parent who is homeless and they are unable to provide for the child. But whatever the reason, um, foster care can be informally arranged, but the majority of time it's arranged through courts or social service agencies. And the goal in the, the, for the child in foster care is to get them in a safe place, to take good care of them, to nurture them, but then, like I said, to get them back to their birth family. The reunification continues to be um, pushed. Now, there are also a lot of children who might be in foster care, but they are in what we call kinship care. They are with a relative. So in kinship care, that can be legally arranged, and honestly, that's the best way to go. And the reason the the legal foster placement is the best is it, it helps um, – the, the grandparents or the aunts or the uncles or the siblings even um, to have um, a more legal um, ability to place a child in school or other issues such as that. And we can talk about that more as we go. 
I want to remind you, we want you to call in if you have some thoughts about this or questions. If you're interested in being a foster parent, maybe we can help you or we can certainly get you to some resources. Um, give us a call at one eight seven seven mtv ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email question to family at mpbonline.org. So I believe we have Dr. Saunders on the line. Is that correct, Jay? We do. We do. Okay, good. Um, so let's bring Dr. Saunders in. Good morning, Barbara. Good morning. How are you? Well, good to have you. Um, let let's me get you to tell our listening audience a little bit about, I mean, I've already said that you're, you're chief of the development and behavioral pediatrics, our division at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. You are um, also the mother of two children, one with special needs, mm-hmm. yet you have in your heart to get involved in the foster care system. Tell us a little bit about your journey. Sure. Um, well, um, as you said, you know, I have two children. My son, Will, who is um, almost 13, which is hard to believe, has special needs. And then my daughter, Kate, is 10. And a couple of years ago, um, during what our church has annually, something called Orphan Sunday, um, my husband and I really um, began to be uh, stirred and moved to participate somehow in the foster care system. And initially, we weren't really sure what that would look like. Um, So we attended some classes that our church does to kind of explain the system, explain foster care versus adoption and the different options that are available. Um, And after considering that and praying about that, we decided that um, adoption would be the best fit for our family, given the fact that we do have two children and, and having some stability with a child who would hopefully come into our home and remain in our home um, would be a little easier um, for our kids than having children in and out frequently. Um, there's definitely a need for both, for sure, and I think it really depends on the family and the, and the specific situation in that home as to which would be better um, for each family. Um, so we actually right, began... Oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, certainly, I'm, I'm hearing you say that you took what your children's needs were into consideration, and that is something, as we go through this show, something that we really need to highlight. If there are other children in the home, you want to make sure that that is something you really think about, right? Right. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, and um, so we applied through our county's um, DHS office to become a licensed resource family so that we could either foster or adopt. And we actually submitted our initial application, I believe in November or early December of 2015. Um, In 2016, in January and February, we completed the required classes to become licensed uh, foster parents or a resource family. Um, I think it was six classes that we took. There's also, background checks and fingerprinting and um, references from employers that are required and medical records. Um, And all of that is in an effort to be sure that these children who've already been removed from one situation that was not ideal um, be placed in a home that is going to be um, stable, safe, 
able to support the child financially, all of those things. So there are a lot of hoops to jump through, but they're necessary yeah. hoops. But let me ask you this. Now, I've been uh, through this journey somewhat with you. Mm-hmm. I think uh, many of us in, in our office were really excited about your your journey um, in this, and we thought it was a bit interesting that you had to go through these classes um, as uh, since you are a developmental behavioral pediatrician who teach child development. But in these classes, did it really, did it give you good information? Do you think they were good classes for individuals who perhaps didn't have the training you did or if they were individuals who had never been a parent and kind of what to expect? Did you think they were helpful? I did. Um, I did know a good bit of the some. I should say some of the content just from my training. But there were things that I certainly was unaware of that I learned. Um, and I definitely think that a parent or caregiver who has either never been a parent or never dealt with a child who maybe has some behavioral or mood problems or delays, um, that there were things that that those. Um, people, including my own husband, learned um, that they probably wouldn't have learned without those classes. Um, Just ways to handle children, ways to respond, things to do or not to do, that kind of thing. Um, And then there were also some of the classes on the resources available to you as a resource family or a foster parent. Um, And I was completely unaware of some of the things that they do try to provide for families and for children while they're in foster care. So, um, yes, certainly um, on, the, on uh, the website for Mississippi for uh, foster care participation, there are certainly the qualifications that are listed. And, and actually, before the show, I checked Louisiana, Alabama, Tennessee, all have the same. And I'm sure states throughout the U.S. all have, um, everybody has a bit different um qualifications and needs but that 15 hours I was happy to see the 15 hours at least of pre-service training there um, now I have a question about that pre-service training again that kind of pertains more to should you really become a foster parent and um, maybe when we get back after our first break we can talk about that jay do we have any callers on the line right now no not yet not yet um well i hope we will get some we have open lines guys give us a call if you have any questions or thoughts at one eight seven seven. MPB ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org when we get back we will talk more about foster care who does it and why we want to see if you have any questions and we want to talk a little bit about um, who gets to do it and what kind of training is required when we come back
If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. MPB Think Radio loves to help with lots of subjects, but between 9 and 10 on Wednesday mornings, we focus on your nest. On Fix It 101, we want to help you make your place safer, quieter, drier, brighter, bigger, cooler, cozier, or the opposite of any of those things, depending on your preference. The pros are Del Moore of Affordable Solutions 601 and Jeff Sammons of Houseworks. I'm the amateur and host, Jason Klein. So go ahead and ask away. Fix It 101 is Wednesdays at 9 on MPB Think Radio. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. And today we are talking about foster care parenting. Who does it? Why do they do it? And um, what do you need to think about before you jump into it? I know there are many foster care parents out there who um, actually may be busy right now doing that parenting. Uh, Many of these homes already have children in them and they bring uh, their own biologic children and bring them in. Many of these homes are, um, are, are relatives of the children, either grandparents. And I know there are many grandparents out there who are in the midst of raising grandchildren. And we'd love to hear from you about sort of your comments and experiences. You can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. Um, we've been talking with Dr. Barbara Saunders, Chief of the Division of Child Development and Behavioral Pediatrics at UNC, and she has her own experiences um, with the foster care system. She has applied to um, be a foster parent and, and adopt, and she has two children of her own. We were talking about the training before the first break of uh, what's required of um uh, foster, uh, potential foster parent before you get in. And certainly there's a background check and, and you have to have the proper um, home uh, set up and all of that. But, but to me, most importantly, um, it doesn't matter if you have a 5,000 square foot home or a 1,000 square foot home. You need to have room for the child, obviously, but you also need to have the ability the love, the training, um, the ability to parent. Not just love, just won't do it. You've, you've got to know how to manage um, what it might be going on with these children. And one thing that I'd like for us to, to talk a little bit about is that um, these children often aren't just coming from a neglectful home from when 
maybe they didn't have enough food or maybe they didn't have the right place to live. But many of these children have suffered other issues such as severe neglect or um, abuse or violence in the home or a parent with significant mental illness who um, has engaged in um, parenting that parenting that should not be happening. So um, that was one question that I had to you, Dr. Saunders. Do you feel like that there is that preparation in the pre-training classes that you had to attend as a potential foster parent to prepare you for that? I mean, you've got the training, but what about others who don't have the training? Um, there is definitely some training in that and, um, probably more honestly than I thought there might be. That being said, having seen children in the foster care system, um, I don't know that a family who doesn't have that type of experience outside of this, um, outside of becoming a foster parent, that they would really truly be um, ready for some of the things that might come their way. Um, often kiddos come into care and they may have had some type of abuse that nobody knows about and so you can't prepare for it necessarily um, and that can often lead to you know behavior problems or mood problems um, and then some of these children have other types of needs, medical needs or developmental disorders. Um, and so, you know, I think they do a pretty good job of training folks. Unfortunately, I think some of it you have to just kind of um, learn from experience. And I, that's one reason having folks in your corner to support you is so necessary because otherwise um, I think a family would burn out pretty quickly. Right. I think that's one of one of the concerns out there that that as I've looked at this and as I've seen children in foster care over the years, um, the support network we maybe need to make better. Mm -hmm. um, Jay, I understand we have a caller. We uh, do. We have uh, Rick in Grand Bay. Okay. Well, let's get to Rick and see. Good morning, Rick. Thanks for calling in. Good morning. I was uh. I grew up in a uh, volunteered, uh, uh, I guess you'd call uh, uh, foster care. I had to run away from home. Uh, I had a very decent father. I'm 62. Back in those days, mm -hmm. they didn't have these kind of services. But I was wondering, um, I know how I turned out. I didn't turn out too bad, but I you know, had a lot of rough roads. But anyway, has there ever been a correlation between the children that are put into foster care? and how it correlates to ACE, acute, acute childhood ex experiences, and how it later on affects them in life. I mean, um, and I don't good. understand the criteria of taking, you know, I can see where there's an imminent threat of a harm, physical harm to the child being taken from the home. But as for the, the parent being without food in the home or not a decent place to live, you would think that, you know, in, in the best interest of the child, would it be to stabilize that home rather than take it from the home and then stabilize it? It costs more that way. Especially in the long run, whenever you got to look at what kind of, uh, you know, what kind of counseling this person's going to have to get, this child's going to have to go through by being yanked from his family. And I, I've never seen that turn out good. 
I have friends of mine that had their parents, uh, they had their children taken away because of the possibility of things. Nothing really physically could be proved, but possibility. And it's five, six years now. They still have been getting their child back. They've jumped through all the hoops and everything else. So I, I can't yeah. see why the churches can't step in on these, you know, these minor ones like the lack of food in the home, uh, lack of a proper place to live. It'd be greater for the greater benefit for the child to stay within that home and and but but stabilize it rather than take them out and right. put them in foster care. So I, I want right. to know what y'all think about that. You have you have some excellent points, and you mentioned the ACE study. That's the Adverse Childhood Event Study that was done by Kaiser Permanetti in California back in the 90s that yes. showed, just for our listeners, that showed um, that if you experienced adverse events in your childhood, like violence in the home, parent with mental illness, um, extreme poverty, um, abuse, um, severe neglect, any of those kind of things, that they they greatly impacted your adult life, not just with mental behavioral health, but also with physical health, including asthma, diabetes, and, and other health, cardiac, cardiac disease. And so so you're, you're bringing up a great point. Have, have we seen a correlation of children placed in foster care um, and how they fell on the ACE on, on the ACE on the ACE scale, you know, did, has there been yeah. a study, you know, a long-term study of those who were raised in foster care, and later on, did they, did, you know, carry on watching over these kids and see what how this acute uh, childhood experience, you know, actually affected their later life? You know, that's um, that's a good question, and I can't answer if they looked at just foster care placement. The ACE study itself looked at several indicators, and if you had three or four or more, then you were at much higher risk. Now, obviously, if you're put in foster care, there's there's already something that placed you there. So, so um, there may be sort of a confounder there of um, can you blame it on foster care. But you mentioned something that is very clear, and if you talk and interview people who are in foster care, they all wanted to go back to their biologic family, almost all of them, even the ones who were significantly and severely abused. They wanted to be part of that biologic family, and that's why it is, reunification is being worked on so hard and I will tell you from my own experiences as a physician in this field that termination of parental rights is very hard to do mm-hmm. it has to be significant that the parent just has not made an effort at all to uh, be able to become able to take care of their child so um uh, that that is certainly being looked at. I want you to, to know that. But if there is an expert out there who is listening, um, or Dr. Saunders, if you know the answer, has foster care specifically been able to be teased out and, and seen as maybe a, a, a negative? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that you and I both know there are children who just must be removed from the home because mm-hmm. of the significant, terrible things that are going on. And, and we've still seen children who remained in homes um, 
because the the DHS did not feel like they needed to be removed, and those children died in those homes. Right. So any comments um, to what Rick's having to say? No, I'm not aware of anything that specifically teases out the, you know, the the part I guess to play or the or to blame on the foster care system and I'm honestly I'm not certain if you could truly do that because like you said there are so many other confounding factors that would have to be considered um, but one thing that um, I thought of um, when when you were asking your question was about you know the church and ways to prevent kids from going into foster care and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there is a really great service through Bethany Christian Services called Safe Families and the entire purpose of that is to prevent children from having to go into foster care to begin with so if a parent is homeless or jobless or needs to go to rehab for a few months they can contact Bethany and have them placed with a safe family that goes through the same training you would for um, DHS foster care, although it is separate. It's the same type of training. And then the child or children can stay in that safe home for a certain period of time until the parent is able um, to take back over the caregiving. And I have had some friends who are a safe family, and they have been very blessed by the kids they've taken care of, and I feel like those children have probably been blessed as well um, and were able to get back with their families um, probably a little more quickly than they would have otherwise. Okay, great. So, Rick, I guess the the main thing we want to emphasize is the the goal always, if possible, is reunification. And I may have exaggerated. Certainly, just because you live in poverty does not mean that your child will be taken away from you. There are other mm-hmm. avenues, and um, the welfare system is fairly strong in trying to help in that area. Um, so I understand we have another caller, um, Jay. That's right. We've got Kathy in Hattiesburg on the line. Good morning, Kathy. Thanks for calling in. Um, tell us what you have to say about this foster care topic, important topic. Hi. Can you hear me? I can. Yes. Um, I work within the system, so I, I'm coming from that perspective. And I'd like to say two things. One thing I'd like to say is um, for people who are interested in becoming foster parents, um, a lot of times they don't know um, if they qualify or or what type of uh, person they're looking for in foster care. So I just wanted to clarify that um, you don't necessarily have to be married. You can be single. Um, If you have somebody living in your home, uh, you have married um, to adopt, Um, but there's no age limit, and we're always looking for um, foster uh, parents for our children. The other thing, oh, and just go go to the office and and tell them I'm interested in being a foster parent and you want to speak with the resource department, that's the department that handles handles that, uh, taking your application and whatnot. The other thing I wanted to talk to mention was that the question, I wanted to address the question that the man had about um, why don't, why why doesn't the agency go in and correct the problems in the home without removing the child? And I just want to clarify that a little bit and let let the general public know that 
usually if children aren't being fed and there's no food in the home and that sort of thing, neglect is what we, what we term it, um, there's usually an underlying cause. It's often drug addiction, it could be mental illness, sometimes it's a criminal history and parents been incarcerated um, or they can't find a job, they've just come out of jail, whatever. And we like to reunify these children with their parents and we help the parents correct the problems in the home, but it's not something that can be corrected very rapidly. Um, and so for the benefit of the child, we have to temporarily move them out of the home. Then we work with the parents, address those problems, and when the judge feels it's safe for the child to go back, then we place the children back in the home. And a lot of times when we take them out of the home, we put them with relatives. Um, so they're still within the family unit. That's what we try to do. First. So, Kathy, I have a question. Because certainly um, at any age, but at certain ages in a child's life, there are um, times when a separation can, can feel very traumatic. Um, when the separation happens and the child is in foster placement, um, is pretty quickly our visits with the biologic parents arranged? Um, do you feel like the system is is able to move quickly enough to try to make sure that they remember the trauma that this may put on the child? We have 24 hours to have the initial visitation mm -hmm. with the parents. But I'm glad you asked me that because it reminded me of something else I wanted to say, and that is addressing more the prospective uh, foster parents. One thing that they should be very aware of, and I think you did kind of discuss it, these sometimes foster parents think, oh, well, I'm going to get a child in my home, and they think like, oh, like Susie or Kathy or Sammy or Johnny. These children are a little bit different, and foster parents need to be aware that these children have been heavily traumatized. Even coming into your home, that's traumatic for them. And so the expectation of the foster parent really shouldn't be the same as they would have with an ordinary child. These are, these are traumatized children. Right, and, and I think that's a really good point, and I'd, I'd like to just make sure that everybody's hearing that to remember that there, there typically is another issue besides just um, not being cared for. Something else is going on. The child's already traumatized. Then they're put into a strange environment, and almost always, um, and in, in my view, uh, would one expect that there would be an adjustment period? Um, it might be um, tantruming. It might be lying. It might be stealing. It might be just acting out in general. But many times these children do. And that was one of my questions that I put to Dr. Saunders at the beginning of the show is, how prepared are we getting our foster parents to take care of this? And I am not trying to discourage anyone from being a foster parent. I think it's a incredible, noble cause, and, and I hope many will feel compelled to do it. But what I want to make sure is that, like you just said, Kathy, that we are not expecting when we bring these children into our home 
for them to be these perfect, cute little things that come into our life to enhance our life. We are bringing them into our homes to to try to help them and protect them and take care of them and nurture them. Um, so at first, you might not feel like you're getting a lot of reward. It's sort of like um, that new baby that you you so desired and you so wanted, and they come into your home as newborns, and um, they don't sleep, and they don't eat, and they don't breastfeed like they're supposed to, but that's not always as easy as it seems. And and um, so you just got to be ready for for the tougher times to come up with the better times. And I think um, Kathy, you would probably agree with me on that, and Barbara, Dr. Saunders, you too. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I'd love to hear from others. I know you have questions, Kathy. Thanks for calling. You had some great information, and you brought up some things that we um, certainly wanted to talk about. We we have some open lines. We want to hear from you. Give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You don't even have to want to be a foster parent. You might have some questions. So you might have had a friend who was in the foster care system and um, had some experiences with that. So so let us let us know what your thoughts are as we um, move through this. Um, I think I mentioned some behavioral problems and some other issues that come through. Um, I know it's time for us to take another break, and why don't we go to break, but if we have um, any other uh, questions about the behavior or maybe the training that you think you may need, give us a call. Uh, This is Relatively Speaking, and we'll be right back after this next break. Your home for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from you, our listeners. I'm Robin Young. A new book collects conversations with guitar greats from Nick Lucas in the 1920s to Eddie Van Halen decades later. Next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MPB Think Radio. Listen to stories and shows. Go to mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. listening. Um, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. This is Relatively Speaking. We're talking about foster parenting. Um, 
who goes into foster care and why? And who becomes a foster parent and why do they do that? It certainly sounds hard at times, especially as we've talked through this show. What might be the rewards? Have you been uh, a participant in the system and do you have a positive experience that you want to tell us about? We'd love to hear from you about that. But do you have any other questions about the system and the way it's set up? Um, like to hear your questions too. Give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. So, Dr. Saunders, you're still with us, right? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, I wanted to go on to uh, another area, and you can you can talk about this as much as you're comfortable with, and as much as you'd rather avoid. Do. But I know that the the going through all the checks and balances for you weren't as easy as we all thought they would be. We thought you would be, um, you know, welcomed with open arms to be this foster parent, and that that there would be absolutely no question about you participating. We we know what a wonderful parent and uh, that you are and, and what a wonderful surrounding you could give that child. Um, but it didn't happen as easily as you you and I thought it would, did it? No. Um, and, uh, you know, as you'll, if you'll remember when I said we started our journey, it was in 2015. Um, right. After we, we went through our classes, we had our home study. That was in March and April of 2016. Um, and um, about a year ago this time, we... Um, met with our work resource worker and her supervisor and were informed that we were not going to be licensed um, due to um, what they felt like were the, the significant behavioral and medical needs of our son, Will. Um, and one thing we had done our very best to stress to them throughout the whole situation was that we certainly would not be taking that on if we didn't feel capable of caring for another child, but also that, you know, Will had made some improvements with behavior and was communicating better and, and that we felt like he would do great with a new um, sibling in the home. Um, the really unfortunate thing, though, that also came out of that was that due to some very specific safety things we have to have in place for him that um, were recommended, you know, by his medical team, um, because that was in place, we actually wound up being um, investigated for potential um, neglect, and that investigation was done. We were, it was found that the allegation was found to be unfounded, so nothing negative happened. But it was very, um, it was a very emotionally trying time for us, a very scary time for us. Um, you know, going into something where we were hopeful that we could um, help another child or possibly even two and grow our family and then here we are facing this um you know not well i mean it was a very real possibility at that time of possibly even having our children taken away for something that was basically just a misunderstanding um and i and, think you, and should, you should probably at this point tell tell our listeners what what this was and it's something that i have recommended 
to parents who have children who may elope from the home, who, who you know, uh, due to their um, activity level or their, their special needs or their uh, lack of understanding of, um, of the dangers out there, um, you had secured his bedroom door, correct? Correct, yes. So his bedroom door locks from the outside rather than the inside. It's a simple turn lock, no key required. Um, and we lock it only at night when he's asleep because although he is going on 13 developmentally, he's probably more like maybe a four-year-old. Um, and he also has some behavioral issues, can be very impulsive um, and doesn't understand dangerous situations. And so we had, we had previously, when he was younger, had him in an enclosed bed and ultimately got to the point where this was really the best option. Um, we had some very good safety measures in place, including a video monitor that allowed us to see him the entire time he was in his room. Um, and then his sister, whose bedroom is also upstairs, um, is able to get him out of his room at any point if that's necessary. She knows to go get him if there's some type of emergency and we can't get upstairs. But um, like I said, I, I think it was probably just a misunderstanding, but it, it was a very scary and stressful misunderstanding. <laughs> so, I'm, you know, one, one issue I just have to say um, is that I was very impressed, and clearly you were you and your husband both. Jeremiah are very um, dedicated to moving forward with this because I think there are many people who would have said, how, how dare you, um, you know, push me like this. And, um, and I know that, that many of us were, were very concerned about why, why was something like this such a huge issue when it was something recommended by your medical team who and you you do have one for will but at any rate um the we get it as far as the need to make sure that children are being put into a really excellent home um however there are times when children no matter what the the checks and trainings children aren't now um full disclosure on this whole topic mississippi got into some pretty significant trouble our state did um, because the federal agencies that were oversighting our child protective services were saying we weren't taking care of kids we weren't doing a good job we didn't have the right guidelines there and so i think that um Certainly, um, our Department of Human Services, our protective services, has been caught in trying to make the corrections. Uh, we're under new leadership now. They're um, certainly relooking at everything they've done, and um, and I, I think that maybe that was one of those corrections that happened that maybe was an overcorrection on their part. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, an opinion of of mine, and um, so I don't want anybody to think that the this is an opinion of the radio station or the University of Mississippi Medical Center. That's my opinion. I I, I know there's been some difficulty in that area. So um, would love to hear if there's anybody 
um, who who has uh, more knowledge on that uh, would love to have you give us a call. Uh, we still have time, and it, we still have some open lines. So give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring, one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. If you, if any of our listeners have any other comments on this topic as we're moving along, um, what I thought that I might do now is um, go through. I um, there are so many um, good sites. The American Academy of Pediatrics has some excellent information on adoption and foster care. In fact, the AP thinks enough of it is that we have an entire section in the Academy of Pediatrics on um, foster care adoption and kinship care. And um, try to, in our national meetings, always have topics presented on that. So we believe it's such an important topic. So if you want some more information on sort of national standards, uh, certainly there's plenty of information out there. Uh, Again, I think the American Academy of Pediatrics is a great site uh, to look. There's some policy statements uh, about it and lots of good information out there for you to look at. But as I was moving through preparing for the show, um, I wanted, I found a good uh, site that just talked about if you are interested in this or if you think about being a foster parent, maybe what you should do. Um, It was in it was an article written actually by Carrie Craft, a woman in Wichita, Kansas, who has had 20 years of experience and training in foster care. She's fostered many children. And so I thought this might be a good time to, to talk a little bit about what she thought if you're considering what you really need to think hard about. And it looks like a lot of this that she wrote was also pulled from other sites and recommendations. And it starts with this, that you really need a good support system. If you're going to be a a foster parent, that you need to make sure you have um, family, friends, um, church members, as Dr. Saunders mentioned, somebody out there to help you um, if you get in a spot where things are getting tough and you need some help. That support system is really, really important. Um, do you have the patience to do it? Because we already said it's not easy. So think about it. Do you have the patience to do it? Are you willing to give um and not get anything in return at first. I, I don't believe that the majority of the time you get nothing back. I think it can be very rewarding, no doubt about it. But uh, sometimes, those, especially in those first few months, it may be you're giving more than receiving, for sure. Um, another thing is, uh, and I think Kathy, our caller from Hattiesburg, mentioned this, that... Um, that often the children aren't relieved or grateful to be out of their home situation. Rick mentioned that too, our first caller. That it's often not the case. Um, even even abuse abuse children 
may think that the situation that they're in is is really a normal situation, and they don't want don't really think they need anything different. Um, many times, okay, number four, something to think about is um, these children because of the mental or emotional abuse can be angry, sad, resentful. They can be depressed or anxious. And so you have to be prepared to get them the help that they need. And also to remember that um, Dr. Saunders, as you had, there are people looking at your home, Mm -hmm. looking into what you do. And then once there's a child placed, have they talked to you about how often there might be someone coming back in to check on things? Do they do follow-up checking? They do follow up checking. We actually have not spoken specifically about how frequently um, that will occur, but just um, for those who are listening and heard my last comments, um, we did go through a second home study that was finished in um, February. Um, Just like the rest of us, unfortunately, CPS is also overworked and understaffed, and so things sometimes take a little longer there just like they do at your doctor's office or the dry cleaners or anywhere else Um, but we actually this week received our official license to adopt and so now we are just waiting on that kiddo or the two kiddos we said we'd take two if it was a sibling set Um, and we very much anticipate folks coming back in making sure the kids are okay making sure we're doing okay um, that type of thing because even if you adopt For the first six months, that child is still considered a foster child, and then you can adopt. And so any rules and regs that go along with foster children and being a parent of a foster child would be in play at that point. Right. So that's something to think about. Well, congratulations, by the way. I didn't hear um, about that. That's Mm -hmm. wonderful news. So you and your husband made the decision to adopt, and so you limited um, yourselves to children who can, who have been really released for adoption. Because that's another point that I wanted to make is that if you have foster children and uh, you know reunification is an, uh, something that they try very hard to do you have to know that you may need to say you may have to say goodbye to that child Um, I do know that there are some individuals who continue to stay in touch with their foster care parents and that can be allowed in certain situations to 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 remember that but um, we already talked about making sure if you have children in your home that they're going to be a participant and then the final thing is do you have the love to give are you ready to um, be a parent to that child because that's what they need is someone who can nurture and love them I think it's just an amazing um, thing that people do and congratulations to all of you out there who have been foster parents. Um, Thank you, Dr. Saunders, for calling in and sharing with us. Um, You've been very helpful. And um, we uh, hope 
that we wish you great luck in all of this. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Today's show was engineered by Jay White. Our call screener was Patrick, our intern. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking. And listen to the podcast if you want to hear this again um, or any other podcast. Stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on